thanks for joining us this morning. My name's Rick, and I'm, I'm uh, the campus pastor here. And um, we're glad that you've joined us, and we're uh, going to take you through a study. We've been studying the journey, the lives of people who are making their way back to God, and we're studying the life of Esther this morning. But before we get there, I'm going to invite our ushers to come, and we're going to receive an offering this morning. And uh, please feel no obligation to give. This is just a part of our regular worship. Just like we were singing, uh, we give with our finances and our, and, and our tithes as well. So how many graduations have you been to over the course of your life? High school, commencements, middle school. Some of you, I know Kevin and Richard, you guys graduated last year, right? He's graduated last year. Some people, it's more recent. Andrew, you've been a couple years out. Some of, you, some of you guys, you're getting ready. Amanda, you've got another year away, right? You've got another year and a half, yeah. But we've got, you've been to, some, some of it's a little more fresh and recent for these younger guys. Some of you, like, I just want you to play it back in your heads. How long ago your last, Bob, no, I'm not going to go there, Bob. We're not going to, Bob was like, what, five years ago, the last, the last time you graduated, right? Fifteen. Oh, let's <laughs> You know, I've been to a number of commencements and graduations over, over the course of my years, especially being a youth pastor. I got to go and see a lot of the kids graduate. And I love graduation speeches. I love listening to the hope and to just all the dreams and the, just the energy that's in the room when you get somebody up there who really hasn't experienced the next phase of life, but feels fully prepared to take on that. You know that, fe- you know that speech that happens? They're like, they're saying, I'm gonna, we're going to take on the world. Our class is going to conquer business, and we're going to conquer relationships, and we're going to conquer the world. <laughs> they get all fired up there, right? They're, they know enough information, and they've been the oldest on campus, that people look to them for all the wisdom and ev- everything, and it's a wonderful season of life where they get to step out before they've had any responsibilities. And then they get a job where they step into that next phase and they're trying to take on the world, but they're bagging groceries at the superstore and they're making minimum wage and they're feeling like, this, this really wasn't what I was prepared to do. I was, I was ready to do something a little more than this. And all of a sudden the world becomes a much harder place. It's scary and it's beyond them. And really, they understand that the world isn't conquerable. It's kind of this big place where all these dreams don't seem to be coming true. But for that one night, that one moment, I love the look in their eyes, and I love the feeling that's present, because they haven't been squashed by reality. They're believing something that's within them, that they can actually do this. For that one night, that's their moment. You know, I think we all have these moments Moments when we feel like we're in the right place at the right time, we're in the sweet spot, we step up to the plate, we hit the ball out of the park, it's the game-winning home run, it's our time. We're going to study Esther this morning, we've been praying into this Sunday that, that, that we would all start to experience again what it feels like to not have to judge what God can do through us based on what we've seen happen in front of us. I think sometimes we do that, don't we? We start to say, God, you can only do what I've seen you do. As opposed to really believing about what God has placed in us, what's resident inside of us, and getting back to that moment where we believe we can be the people that God has created us to be. So we're going to go to uh, the book of Esther, and Steve's going to read for us in a moment one of the great chapters that that kind of um, 
brings out what's happening in Esther. But I want to set up the story because a lot of us don't know all of the background. There was, uh, they were living in Persia, and the king at the time, he was having a bit of a spat with his wife. And if you know the story, it's because she wouldn't parade herself in front of him and his friends so that he could brag on her. So he wanted a new wife. Sounds like a pretty logical situation, right? <laughs> How many of us men know that time when their wife wouldn't parade around in front of their friends? You know what I mean, right, guys? Yeah. Okay, Amanda's in the back room. That's why I went there. So she, she didn't hear that. But truthfully, this was a little bit customary at the time. It wasn't, it wasn't completely out of the realm of feasibility that he would ask her to do that. But good on the queen for not giving in to her drunken husband's every whim. However, it didn't turn out so well for her because he did indeed start to look for a new wife. So he played a little Persian bachelor and he called all the girls of the kingdom together and had this little beauty pageant. And Esther, a Jewish girl living in the kingdom, won. And her prize was this king. This was the prize that she won. She got to be with this guy. Well, that's a bit debatable, right? But Esther's cousin... Um, he was, he, he was uh, living outside of the gates of the king's palace. That's kind of where he took up residence. And he ticked off one of the king's close friends whose name was Haman. And he wouldn't give honor to Haman and bow before him. And, and that was customary at the time as well. It's one of the royal people in, in, in the king's kind of group. People would bow down before him. And as a Jew, Mordecai, this is Esther's cousin, he, wouldn't, he would have struggled to give this kind of recognition to Haman, as he walked by, he wouldn't want to bow down because he reserved that for God, and he would only worship God in that way. So he was kind of making Haman upset. So Haman goes to the king, and he says, you know, if we could just get rid of Jewish people, that would solve a lot of problems. These are a nasty people, these Persians. Eh? They're asking the girls to come up and parade and ask, saying, could we get rid of the Jewish people? And the king... Uh, wonderful prize that he has says this is a, this is a pretty good idea sure Haman you can have this whole um, edict go out that we're going to get rid of Jewish people and this is where we pick up the story in chapter four so I'm going to ask if Steve wouldn't mind coming and he's going to read for us all of chapter four this morning and what happens as uh, as Mordecai hears of the edict that's gone out reading from Esther chapter four verses one to seventeen When Mordecai heard about the letter, he tore his clothes in sorrow and put on sackcloth. Then he covered his head with ashes and went through the city crying and weeping. But he could only go as far as the palace gate because no one wearing sackcloth was allowed inside the palace. In every province where the king's orders were read, the Jews cried and mourned and they were and they went without eating. Many of them even put on sackcloth and sat in ashes. When Esther's servant girls and her other servants told her what Mordecai was doing, she became very upset and sent Mordecai some clothes to wear in place of the sackcloth. But he refused to take them. Esther had a servant named Hathach who had been given to her by the king. So she called him in and said, Find out what's wrong with Mordecai and why he's acting this way. Hathach went to Mordecai in the city square in front of the palace gate, and Mordecai told him everything that had happened. He also told him how much money Haman had promised to add to the king's treasury if all the Jews were killed. Mordecai gave Hathach a copy of the orders for the murder of the Jews and told him that these had been read in Susa. He said, show this to Esther and explain what it means. Ask her to go to the king and beg him, have pity on our people, the Jews. Hathach went back to Esther and told her what Mordecai had said. She answered, Tell Mordecai there is a law about going in to see the king 
and all his officials and his people know about this law. Anyone who goes in to see the king without being invited by him will be put to death. The only way that anyone can be saved is for the king to hold out the gold scepter to that person. And it's been 30 days since he has asked for me. When Mordecai was told what Esther had said, he sent back this reply. Don't think that you will escape being killed with the rest of the Jews just because you live in the king's palace. If you don't speak up now, we will somehow get help, but you and your family will be killed. It could be that you were made queen for a time like this. Esther sent a message to Mordecai saying, bring together all the Jews in Susa and tell them to go without eating for my sake. Don't eat or drink for three days and nights. My servant girls and I will do the same. Then I will go to see the king, even if it means I must die. Mordecai did everything Esther told him to do. You know, as we study this this morning, here's what, here's what we believe. We believe that God has placed the same kind of expectation, of future in each of us. That for such a time like this, we've been positioned to fulfill his purposes in some area. Leslie, you may never be queen of Persia. <laughs> I, hate to, I hate to let you down on that. But God has placed something in you for a specific purpose, for a specific time. You believe that? Amen. I believe that God has that resonant in each one of us. And this morning, we're going to have a study to see what God expects of us and how we can respond. First thing we need to know is this, is that every generation will face issues of injustice. Do you know that we live in a world where there is constant conflict? And on this map here, we see some of the places in the world where there's been more conflict and some of the places where there's been less conflict. Thankfully, we live in the dark green, one of the more peaceful nations But over the course of history, do you know that only 8% of world history has been marked with full world peace? Only 268 years of recorded history has there been no war. Maybe there's not enough kids praying for world peace at Christmas. You know what I mean? They're asking for ponies and things like that. They need to pray. Let's blame the children. No, we're not blaming the children. It's, It's us as a people. As, as human beings, we've brought this on ourselves. And sometimes the wars have legitimate reasons. Sometimes we've gone to war for the absolute most crazy reasons that that you could ever possibly imagine. I started looking at some of the reasons why our world has gone to war. This one's one of the beauties. It's out of 1896. It's on the east coast of Africa in the Ashanti Empire. Um, British came in and they started to take control out of that. And the governor, he heard that the Ashanti people had this this sacred golden footstool that, that they really valued. And since he was coming in and he was taking over control of this, of this gold coast, he thought, you know what? I should have this golden footstool. Why he should have that golden footstool? Nobody really knows. But he decided he was going to go take it. And 12,000 Ashanti people said, I don't think so. The English can come in and have control over, our, 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 over ourselves politically, but they're not having our golden footstool. And that made the governor mad, so he decided to bring in a bunch of British troops, and they went to war over a footstool. <laughs> and 2,000 people died fighting over this stinking little stool that he could have made out of anywhere, but he decided to bring two nations to war over it. 
This one's even more beautiful. In 1859, if, if you go to the west coast of Canada and the United States, this would have been a time where there was, there was um, Americans who were starting to move west, and there was still British rule up in, up in the west coast of Canada. And there was no clear boundary in between Vancouver and Washington State in some of the island areas there. And there was a British pig farmer who was there. No, there was an American pig farmer, and one of his pigs walked on to what the British thought was British land, and so the English were mad, so they shot the pig dead because he said he was trespassing on what... The pig was trespassing on what they believed to be British territory, which was still unmarked at the time. This was just what people believed to be. So 461 American troops came together facing off against five British warships with over 2,000 troops over bacon. Really? (laughs) What we learn about here is don't mess with a man's bacon. (laughs) But we we also learn that we go to war over some crazy things. And we're never going to have a time when there's just peace. Over this past weekend, Amanda and I, we like to get away one time in November before the craziness of the Christmas season hits and just have time together. And we went to New York. And we stopped at the Ground Zero site, the former World Trade Center. And we saw the Freedom Tower. And it's kind of, I don't know if you've been there, if you've seen it, but there's this unique shape that it goes up to and it kind of points to the top. And there, there were helicopters circling it constantly. And we were reminded of a day not too long ago where, where we really felt the threat of war on our land, on our side of the world. We just celebrated Remembrance Day a couple weeks ago. It reminded me of a time when we were, um, when I was on a missions trip over in Europe and I got to stop by Auschwitz. And we go back throughout history and we see that regardless of when you were born, where you were born, you will experience and witness crisis in our world. And we read that story that Steve just read for us. And this was Esther's generational crisis, verse 13. There were dispatches sent by couriers to all the king's provinces with the order to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the Jews, young and old, women and children, on a single day, the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar, and to plunder all their goods. Her people and her faith group were starting to feel hate. And we know that worldwide, Christians face this kind of hate regularly. And I don't know if you know this, but after our service today, we're going to invite you to stay back and we're going to watch on the screen behind us the service from Mississauga, just the 1140 service. We're going to have the immigration minister from Canada here, Jason Kinney, and we're going to have a local MP. We're going to have representatives from the Muslim community and the Jewish community and the Christian community. And we're all coming together to say, there's a pretty terrible things happening right now over in northern Iraq. And there are people being persecuted because of faith, because of where they're from. And we need to do something to respond to that crisis. And we're going to have an opportunity. There's going to be a goal, a challenge put out there, fundraising. But we're going to be able to meet the needs of an entire displaced community. People who are about to enter the winter months without food, without shelter, without even blankets. And we're going to be able to respond with a group of people on behalf of our nation coming together to say, we want to do something. We want to respond to this crisis. So I invite you to stay back. We've got some, some cookies and cake and coffee and juice down there. So after the service today, you can go grab a snack and then we'll start right at 1140 on the screen behind us. And we'll, we'll hear from representatives of leaders from both religious and from the political world that we're going to 
find a chance to respond to that. So make sure um, that you're able, make sure you, you plan to stay if you're able to. But you know, we may not be all that far off of experiencing that in Canada. It's not overt, it's more subtle, but there's clear discrimination against those of the Christian faith in our culture. When we want to adhere to a traditional view of marriage, it's seen as prejudiced instead of devotion to our faith practice. And if I don't want my daughter to be exposed to curriculum on sex in grade one, then I'm really just not liberal enough. And it's okay to celebrate every kind of festival overtly as, as Diwali is a Hindu festival and Ramadan is, is a Muslim faith. But when we get to Christmas and Easter, it seems wrong to celebrate those as the birth and the death of Jesus Christ. These are days reserved as a culture. We want to do that for Santa and the Easter Bunny. Listen, we never know when we'll face the conflict based on who we are as Christ followers. There's a prophet named um, Habakkuk, and he openly questions God about why injustice happens in the world. In fact, he's the only biblical prophet to ever get into that. And here's what he said in chapter 1, verse 3 of his book. He said, why do you make me look at injustice, God? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. We don't like injustice. We don't like when we see something wrong going on in front of us, yet God allows it to happen. Now, we've been looking at how this happens on a large scale, but it could just be that you experience injustice in your everyday world. Maybe it's been you personally. You've been passed over for a job that you were qualified for. Maybe you've been the scapegoat for a problem that you really didn't have control over. Maybe it's just, you know, the injustice when... The cashier at the grocery store, she slows down because you chose her line. You ever been in one of those lines, you know? And you see everybody else, she was going nice and fast till you got in that line and then you were, that line goes slowly. Anybody experienced that? And when you're, yeah, that's right, yeah, you know. You know that injustice that happens. Maybe it's just on your street, where you work, you see issues of injustice happening and you say, God, why does this happen? What can we do about this? God, why would you allow this to continually go on and on and on and nobody does anything and you don't stop it? Well, that's what we see in the story of Esther. And here's where we get to our our next point is that wrestling with an issue of injustice requires a strategic response. That's why we're doing this 1140 service at Portico this morning. We believe that on a worldwide crisis, it's not something we can just sit back and watch because people are being murdered. Families are being left homeless and there's nowhere to escape to. So we're, we are ready to step in and organize a response. And Esther felt the same way. Chapter 4, verse 16. Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, night or day. <laughs> I and my attendants will fast as you do. And when this is done, I will go to the king, even though it's against the law. And if I perish, I perish. If I die, I die. Man, those are big words. Is there any kind of injustice that you're facing right now that you could realistically say, I'm ready to stand up to this, and if I die, I die? You know, very few of us even found the motivation to go out and vote and, and participate in that political process. There was 33% turn, uh, voter turnout in Milton. One third of us decided we wanted to go and participate in that process. And it's real issues that are happening in local government that they wrestle with. 
And God bless those who are willing to stand up and say, I'm going to try and make a difference. I'm going to participate in that. But there are big issues in the world and in our, in our spheres that we get upset about, and we're not always sure if we can respond and how we can respond. Listen, Esther had every reason just to freak out, to break down and cry, to question God. She had every reason to do that. She could have gone off the deep end. She could have started a protest or a march, or she could have done what so many of us have done. We've seen this, right? We've overreacted. The Christian community has done this to some of the crises. We've stepped up in the wrong way. We've overreacted. We've seen this with some, some Christian responses to the abortion. It's a horrible thing, taking the lives of innocent people. But we've overreacted and gone the wrong way, created more innocent death. We, and, you know, we've cried tears for that couple in China who are there and still locked, still in prison, And we've cried for the Christians and the Muslims in Iraq who are losing their lives. But we quickly change the channel and we re-engage in something else. We're not ready to respond in a way that God's called us to. We feel it, but we don't know what we can do practically, so we just turn away. And Esther knew she couldn't respond in the typical way. The thing that made the difference was she heard from the Lord, she went and sought out her cousin, some wise counsel, and she came up with a plan. And any injustice that we face requires a response from the people of God. It was a command right from the beginning of the nation of Israel. Deuteronomy 15.11, it says, There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed towards your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. And I'm not sure what injustice you face this morning. It might be you just feel this global injustice personally. Or maybe you feel something else personally. A reason why God has placed you to be where you are. And Esther's measured and appropriate response serves as our model to follow. To be Christian is to understand that you are not randomly placed here. You were specifically designed and chosen for a time. If that much effort goes into our creation, into our being, you better believe we have a purpose to fill in our world. Whether it's you're a school teacher and you teach a group of kids and God has placed you into the lives of these kids for one year or for two years, And there's some reason why God has placed you to show love and bring truth into that world. Whether it's God has placed you in a neighborhood for a season of time to bring truth and light into a neighborhood that doesn't understand the hope and love and life of Jesus. Or whether God has placed you, like Esther, to stand and rally a larger response to something worldwide. I don't know what it is. But as Christians, it's to believe that God has chosen us for a time and a purpose. And more often than not, the circumstance we face is too large for us to take on personally. We can't tackle it on our own. But in your heart, you know that God's called you to do it. And I know that there are people here this morning who feel this weight. So here's where we get to the action step. Responding to the injustice requires individual expressions of courageous faith. And if you know Pastor Doug, he wordsmithed that one. That's, that's all him. <laughs> Individual expressions of courageous faith. I love it. Faith is confident in things unseen. Being confident in what we don't know to be true. Knowing that what seems impossible is totally possible. 
All throughout the course of history, we have seen men and women step into the gap that was too large for them to fill. They saw a hole and they said, God, if you don't step in for me, I'm going to fall flat on my face. I love some of the stories of, if you know the story of William Wilberforce, who was in, who was in British politics, and he saw the injustice that were happening with racism and slavery, and he had this great career ahead of him, and he had to make a, de- a decision. Am I going to do just what I've always done? Am I just going to go and be a good politician? Or am I going to stand up to racism and take it on? Was he going to sacrifice his career? Death, political death is probably what it meant because everybody else was for the slavery system. And he said, no, I'm standing up to this injustice. I'm not going to do what everybody else has done. And it was on his deathbed that he heard that the edict had been passed, that slavery was abolished in the, in, the, in the British system. It took him his entire life to see that. But he said, if I die, I die. I'm stepping out where God has called me to. I don't know if you remember the story of Malala. Uh, I don't know. I'm going to butcher her last name. Uh, Yousafza? Yousaf. Okay, we'll go with Yusuf. All right. She was, she was last year. I don't know if you, if you remember the story. It was just in the last few years. She blogged about the Taliban terrorist occupation. And a gunman boarded her bus and said, where's Malala? She didn't have to, she, he said, I'm going to start killing people unless she, st- unless she, Malala, stands up. And she stood up and he shot three shots. She decided to say, if I die, I die, but I'm, I'm going to stand up for what God has called me to do. And she'd been blogging about the injustices that were happening in, in, in her world. Well, she recovered miraculously, three shots, often you don't live from. And now she speaks on behalf of children's injustice all over the world. The, the youngest winner of the Nobel Peace Prize is Malala Yousaf. This is a girl. William Wilberforce was a man who saw an injustice and said, I'm stepping up, I'm doing something. If I die, I die. But God has placed me on this earth for this time, and I'm going to be that person that God's called me to be. Here's where we see it in Esther 4.14. And who knows, but that you've come to your royal position for such a time as this. You know, I believe that there are people here this morning that God has called you to step into a gap, to step into a hole that you can't fill, that you can't tackle. I remember a few years ago, God saying really specifically to me, he's saying, saying, Rick, you need to step into a gap where we see with our children's aid societies and families that are in care. And this is a massive hole that I'm stepping into. But I, I don't know if, if, if I shared the story, but a couple of weeks ago, we had volunteers from the church take a group of young adults who have just aged out of foster care system and are now on their own without any family support anymore. They don't have any, they've never been adopted. They've been in the foster care system. Now they're living on their own with no family. And I, and I said... I went to the Halton CES and said, you know, I believe that our church could provide some family support. Is, it, is there any way that we could have the privilege of taking some of these young adults over to Wonderland just to get to know them, feed them some pizza, take them to Wonderland, and just share some of our lives with them? And you know, I have had emails, I'm not joking, every week since the last week of October from, from Halton CAS workers and from foster care workers saying, I don't know what you guys did or who you brought, but nobody can stop talking. Ashley, they said, nobody can stop talking about the volunteers. Ashley was one of them, that's why I'm talking to her. 
about what you guys did on, on that night. She said there was one girl that was an introvert that never speaks to anyone, and the only thing she spoke about was the ride down to Wonderland and the ride back because somebody took time to invest into her. There was another one that came back and said, there's, there's a young man, I don't know how you would have known this, but, but he, he had never been able to keep a job, and he was just given a job in landscaping, and, and he had only been at it a week, but he's so proud that he kept his job for a week. And somebody, the minute that he showed up, asked him what he had done for his job and just talked about landscaping for the next 25 minutes with him. Listen, we didn't know, but we took a step out believing that when God has called us to do it, he'll fill the gap for us. Do you believe that? If God calls you to do it, he'll fill the gap for us. That's why we're doing this as a church this afternoon at 1140. That's why we're going to watch this video um, of what's happening in Mississauga and respond. Because, you know, 100 people in Milton meeting together on Sunday morning can't stop ISIS. But God can. God can heal and God can protect. But what it's going to take is people responding and saying, I believe that with my step, God will do. And if I die, if if I die, I die. If it fails, it fails. But who knows that you haven't come to your position for such a time as this. The step she took was regardless of the outcome. She didn't know what was going to happen. All she knew was that God had called her to something. What has God called you to? This is, this is key, guys. What has God called you to? Sometimes we're not ready to take that step until we, fear that, until we feel <laughs> that the outcome is already safe and secure. And we act this morning because we believe that God can do something. Christiana, would you mind coming back to the keys just for a moment this morning? As we come to a close of this part this morning, we believe that our response is key. And as we've been praying into this service, we believe that that God's going to be speaking to your heart about something. And again, I don't, it, might be, it might be something big, this big giant that God's calling you to take on. It might be just one neighbor that you really believe deep down that God's calling you to share his love and life with. And there's no logical reason why they would ever come to church and hear about you. They're, they're, they're just not a Christian. They're just not a churchgoer. They just don't have the interest in that at all. But that's your giant to tackle and to step out into. I, w- I want to I read some words that describe David at the end of his life. Remember, he fought the giant. He fought a man who was nine foot tall, a warrior with a giant sword. And David was probably four foot something, half his height. And he had some rocks. And this was a man who was called to be the next king of Israel. But... When he had a chance to step into that kingship, he ran away and said, I believe, I believe that God will make the way. I believe that God will do it in his timing. And he did end up leading Israel. And God did come through. And God helped him kill Goliath. And I want to read the words that were spoken about David on his deathbed. Kind of his epitaph words. When David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. And he was buried with his ancestors his body decayed. Don't we want that first part to be said about us? 
that we served our purpose in our generation, man, that would be powerful. If somebody said, at the end of my life, I served my purpose. We have to believe that God has a purpose. And we have to have the faith to respond. A courageous step of faith. This morning, just as Cristiano plays softly, can you just reflect? Maybe listen to the voice. Maybe you're not even accustomed to doing this. But I'm going to ask you, just close your eyes, listen for the voice of the Spirit, and say, God, what's the step you're asking me to take? Where have you called me to respond? How can I be an Esther this morning, Lord? Can we just take a few moments and listen for the voice of the Spirit as Cristiano plays? thank you for this church this group of people you've called us for such a time as this and I pray release and blessing over each of us this morning that we would serve our purpose in this generation God I thank you for Yusuf and I know his calling Lord to reach the people that you've spoken to in Jesus name Lord I pray you give him great faith to take the steps that you've called him to God I thank you for Guys like Derek, Lord, who you've placed in a specific, who you've called and placed in a specific area, Lord, just to be light and love. God, I thank you for all of our young people. It's like Leah and Gabe. God, all of them this morning. I thank you for each young person that you've placed in their school. God, release over, over Zara and, and Amanda and Duncan and Brendan and God, everybody who's here, God, would you use them in their school? They're in their area for a purpose and a reason right now. And in Jesus' name, give them faith to be Esther, to stand up and to stand out. And if something has to die, if something has to lose, so be it. But give them faith, even as kids, to be Esther's. God, I thank you for each one of us and whatever that you've called us to respond to. In the name of Jesus, God, don't let another day go by without us acting, without us responding. God, we are not just doing life to get by, to manage, to, to
to be the same, God, whether it's serving in, in, in a church context or serving in one of our outreach ministries, whether it's serving just at our work or in our family. God, you speak so individually to so many people. That's what's so amazing about you. You're given a hundred different messages to a hundred different people this morning, and only you can do that. So God, we seal that in the name of Jesus. And we say, God, don't ever let that fire burn out. Please, Lord, as we come to you every day, would you, Holy Spirit, would you help us bring it to you in prayer every day? Would you help us step in faith every day? Because it's not us, it's you. God, what an awesome privilege it is to be your kids. And uh, we ask this morning that as, as we go, we go in your power and we go in your blessing. We thank you, God. In the name of Jesus, amen.